Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. Uh, Rachel? I... I didn't think I would get emotional. I just, um, I know people, first off, I just want to say thank you for people who reached out. Um, I'm, I'm like still trying to reply to people. I just, you just never know how great your circle is until you see all the people that reach out and love you. Obviously it's, uh, a difficult time. Um, if you've read the headlines, but I, uh, and you're probably wondering why I would even work. Uh, But to be honest with you, I need to distract myself from myself. And uh, the best way to do that is to do something that I love. And I love higher learning. And so I am going to try my best to get through this podcast. But I'm not going to talk about it. I will eventually. But now is not the time. Just trying to take it day by day. Hmm. And this is all in reaction, obviously, to Texas losing in the college football playoff. I knew this that, that would affect I wanted you. To, this is why I wanted to come to higher learning. <laughs> I knew. I knew that it would affect you. I knew that because I was because I was watching it. Cause look, when you're watching your friend's team and they've been talking shit, there's always this back and forth that you're doing. Cause I want you to be happy, but then I want you to be wrong at the same time. So I'm torn. <laughs> So I was watching and I was like, God, oh, it would be so great if Rach gets to go to the national championship game and see your team. But at the same time, this motherfucker been talking too much shit. <laughs> okay. First, I guess I am going to talk about it now. Um, you can't tell me that there wasn't a second of you that thought, for a second you thought, Texas is going to win this whole thing. Yeah, that, last drive, <laughs> yeah. that last drive. That last drive. It's... It, I honestly wish it, we would have just lost in like with like two minutes left. The way that that got our hopes up, I thought the play calling was absolutely horrendous. At the end, yes, you, yes. You come in those, directly for Sark. Those go back and look at the last four plays. It was like the same thing over and over again. I don't understand what we were doing. We were focused on one side of the field. We were even like, we had even adjusted to that side. We kept throwing in the corner to the same wide receiver. I just did not understand what was happening. And it was like, we kept getting break after break after break. And I was like, okay, okay, we got this. Okay, you know, Sorry for the player that got injured, but that we got this. This stopped the clock. This added time to the clock. Got one second left on the clock. And we just couldn't, we didn't deserve it. If we couldn't make it after all of that, we didn't deserve it. And is that a Michigan hat? No, it's not a Michigan hat. (laughs) (laughs) Not a Michigan hat at all. I'm not wearing a Michigan hat. You know what? We have to bring Donnie in. Uh, By the way, um, I I just want to say before we move on, I had to segue out. But before we move on, I love you. I respect you. You're a member of my family and whatever you need. And in any way, me and everyone who loves you can be supportive. We're going to be right there. So just wanted to make sure everybody knows that. And for those who came clamoring for something, it's going to happen on her time, not on yours. Now, this gets me back to Donnie because Donnie is over here acting like the cock of the walk because Michigan beat Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> like Donnie, well, look, oh, he's gonna pop in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hell, go blue. No, I was saying it feels good 
because I really needed it after what happened with the Lions versus Rachel's team, the Cowboys. We really got fucked in that game. So, like, I needed something to to boost my spirits after that. That sucks. Well, Donnie, are you doing a Michael Jackson situation here? What's up with the one glove? It's chilly, and <laughs> my hand doesn't work on the laptop with the glove. So, ah. you know, that, that's why. <laughs> Listen, I could have taken the L from the Cowboys if it meant my Longhorns because I go to the championship game every year because I work with the foundation. I had burnt orange attire purchase. My outfits were already planned. The fact that now I got to go and watch two teams that I could care less about, Michigan and Washington. I care less about? Come on. I, I will say I could care less, but I will say that Washington quarterback is phenomenal. Uh, he'd be how did he dimes. not win the Heisman? I'm sorry. I know you're LSU, but I do not understand how he didn't win the Heisman. I'll tell you guys, because a lot of people are asking this question, and it's a fair question when you look at the way he played in the um in the semifinal. Just over the course of the year, he just had a couple of down games. He had a couple of games where statistically he wasn't that great. He hit a lull over the course of the year. And once Jaden got up, Michael Penix Jr. is a fantastic quarterback. Once Jaden got to where he was rolling, we're talking about historic numbers. Jaden rushed for 1,200 yards and like 12 touchdowns in addition to throwing for like 4,000 yards. He just overwhelmed people with the numbers. But it was for being objective, being objective, watching Michael Penix in that big game put the ball in those spaces, make those type of pressure throws it was something to behold. I'm not going to lie. I, I still feel like, obviously, you know, I'm a homer. Jaden deserved it because he just statistically was so overwhelming. But, and Michael Penix wasn't as overwhelming. He Jaden had way better numbers, but he, that nigga is the man. Lefty ass dropping it in. But you know something else though? Texas' secondary sucks. I was telling people, Ooh, Texas, Texas secondaries, Texas' secondary sucks. And because of that, Washington was going to have a chance. Everyone was talking about Michigan-Bama, and here's the reality. The SEC was down this year. Bama beat Georgia. Great. That same Bama team had been up and down throughout the whole season, needed a Hail Mary to beat Auburn. I know it's a rivalry game. Georgia, you can make an, uh, an argument that they hadn't really beaten anybody the whole year. They got past Ole Miss. They, they got past or They fucked over Ole Miss. They 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 beat Missouri, but these teams didn't have these incredibly crushing schedules that they had to dominate and these amazing signature wins. So I don't think the SEC champion was that battle tested by the time they got there and Michigan pushed them the fuck around, pushed them around yeah. SEC, the SEC team. So it was a weird year. And I think that the two best teams, the two most complete teams made the final. So can't wait to see what happens on Monday. I just don't feel that I'm so emotionally invested. And obviously, I really needed Texas to win. Yeah. <laughs> I really needed that to happen. Yeah, I but was thinking I'll that be was, at the game. <laughs> you'll, you'll be there. I was like, damn. All right, <laughs> you know, all right, let's, let's, it's so let's, true. I was like, damn, man. <laughs> this is what we we gotta laugh through our pain, man. All this right, is what right. we do. This is what we do. Um, all right. Big deal of the day. They got her. Harvard President Claudine Gray has resigned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unstable, guys. <laughs> you thought it was about okay. you. <laughs> okay. 
This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing in the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University, has resigned from a position six months she got to be the president. Now, if you don't know the backstory here, uh, universities, a lot of higher education um, has come under fire for the way that they've handled protests on campuses all over America, but particularly in the Ivy League. We saw the presidents of MIT, of uh, Penn, I think it was, and of Harvard have to testify before Congress about the rising anti-Semitism on campus and their response to it, they braked when they went up there. They braked. Yeah. Um, while I think that a lot of the issues that they were being asked to speak to were politically manufactured in a very direct way, meaning that we've talked about terms that were used and you know intifada and different things like that, I do think that there was a more eloquent, more direct way for them to articulate that they cared specifically about the safety of the Jewish students on their campuses. And I don't think that they don't care about them. I just don't think that they came off very well. And there's been some talk about why that was and how lawyered they were and uh, what they were trying to accomplish. But they bricked it. After that, they were all targets. Uh, The president of Penn resigned not too far after that. Claudine Gay did not. Mm-hmm. She received backup from a lot of the uppers there at Harvard, the alumni groups, the faculty, all of that stuff. That was until a plagiarism um, narrative was spun around her. And there were some very prominent people that were out to get her, let's be honest. But in their fishing, they caught something. They caught uh, a a dozen or so, a little bit more instances of plagiarism from her academic past. Was it that many? I think it was like 16 or something Mm. like that. Um, And the New York Times got on it and there was a narrative surrounding it and she resigned. Uh, And in her resignation later, she said this, it is with a heavy heart, but a deep love for Harvard that I write to share that I will be stepping down as president. This is not a decision I came to easily. 
Indeed, it has been difficult beyond words because I've looked forward to working with so many of you to advance the commitment to academic excellence that has propelled this great university across centuries. But it's become clear that it's in the best interest of Harvard for me to resign so that our community can navigate this moment of extraordinary challenge with a focus on the institution rather than any individual. She wrote an op-ed in the New York Times uh, a day after she resigned and the people, namely Christopher Rufo, Ackman, some of the rest of these guys, the Ackman is a billionaire guy who uh, has been on this as well. Christopher Rufo has, is a conservative journalist, uh, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, I think, who has, you know, railed against DEI, railed against CRT in the past, um, but has also been at the, the head of trying to get her ousted. They took a victory lap everywhere. And they are letting people know that it's not just about Claudine Gay. It is about the end of DEI and other people are letting people know um, that this is about what they'll do to anyone who they feel like is coming cross uh, at the state of Israel. So um, she was a big trophy for them and they got it. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that one, do you think she resigned or they basically were like, you need to go kind of forced her out? And two, do you think that it was the pressure that they were getting from donors and, al- and alums in regards to what people felt like were anti-Semitic comments by her in front of com- Congress? Or do you think that it's the plagiarism that put them over the top? Okay, interesting. Um, so we do know at other places there have been, uh, money has been involved, put to you like this. I think at yeah. Penn, there yeah. was a $100 million donation that was not coming in. Right. Um, and so the donors at Penn, a lot of the the mega donors at Penn, let it be known that if they didn't make a change in their leadership, then they would be hurting financially. With Claudine Gay, it's interesting because the brass at Harvard seemed to support her. And there was even talk that behind the scenes that President Obama himself was mm. lobbying for them to keep her. And it was a lot trickier for them because she's black. Because she's black, and because she's being uh, targeted in this very specific way, it looks and feels a way. It was a historic achievement for her to be the president of Harvard. It's a black yeah. female president of Harvard, right? So it was a historic achievement. And for them to undo that, it seemed uh, to be a lot trickier than it would be in any other school. So there are a lot of things that were at play here. Um, I guess for me, I'm looking at it like this. The plagiarism thing became something not that was the reason that to me that she was that she resigned. It became something that made the story unignorable. Right. Mm. So it, it and this is what I'll tell you. First of all, l- let's look at the plagiarism here. The plagiarism that they're talking about is Claudine Gay in her academic past. We're talking we're going back to the 90s here. Okay, in her academic past, not properly citing things that she used. So she'd change a word around, she'd do something, and she wouldn't cite it in the correct way. The citations were wrong. The out-and-out plagiarism that some of you guys are thinking about where, hey, Jimmy wrote this paper, right. and then 
I put my name on it and say that I wrote it is not what they're talking about. They're talking about plagiarism from an academic definition. And it's much more about how things are being cited and how she's using the words and specifying different thoughts than anything else. And she was uh, apparently, she had too many instances of where she didn't do that correctly. Now, I should also say that she's not the only person and the only academic that's faced this scrutiny. Neil Gorsuch, when he was um, uh, up for the Supreme Court, they found out instances where he had done it. Alan Dershowitz, other people. Um, if you go watch Rising, you'll talk. You'll see that uh, Brianna and Robbie have a very specific debate about why those guys didn't face any consequences. But you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the standard here that they're using for her is not a novel standard. I mean, this is something that academically at Harvard they would they would use for students as well, and it's a pretty serious infraction. Um, but they use like AI. They use like Chat GPT. They use software to go through this and prove it. That is mm. novel. That's new. That's something that they didn't do before. When she wrote all of these papers back in the past, she wasn't just, they weren't just allowed. She was praised for what she wrote. And she was one of the greatest students that they had and one of the most the sharpest minds that they had had. So there was no red flags in the past about Claudine Gay, her academic record, and her achievements were to the highest standard. She, without impunity, she was looked at um, as one of the finest minds in the country, and they've destroyed that. Right. And so, and so, uh, when when you look at it, it's it's one of those things that we discuss now to where it's not clean in the way that you would want it to be on on either side of it. It's not. I can't say that there are no improprieties in what they found. But at the same time, the intent here is what makes this dirty and nasty and fucky and funky and all of that stuff, you know? But that's my beef with, I guess, Harvard, because I feel like people were people that were supporting gay were lauding, uh, giving praise to Harvard because they had her back. You know, they were like, she's not going anywhere. She's staying here, you know, and then even in this op-ed, she talks about how you know, she could have said this. She should have said it this way. This is what she meant to say um, in regards to that congressional hearing. But to me, I'm really frustrated with Harvard here because I feel like they didn't have her back. You just talked about all her achievements and it seems like everything has been reduced to publications or things, that, things, articles that she wrote in the 90s and takes away from the fact that she was at Stanford, that she was a dean of uh, arts and sciences at Harvard. Then she became this. She has a long storied history of basically excellence when it comes to uh, um, everything that she's done. And so the fact that they couldn't stand up and say, look, Claudine has done this, 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 and this. We hired her. She was this for five years. She was this for this many years before. You know, we're not going to let it look like we're playing into all those people, alums, donors, haters, racists, whatever it may be. All these people that are demanding that she step down because the work speaks for itself that she's done. And I think that that That's, I guess, what infuriates me about this, because it's setting a precedent for black people, for women and for black women who in the future may try to be the president of an Ivy League school. 
it's really damaging because I just don't I I don't know. I guess I just don't understand why Harvard didn't have her back here. There's a well, reason that she picked it. They, they tried well, to. They, I mean, with, look, look by, by, okay, the, after the hearing, not really with this, though. I feel like they, this isn't I, enough, as you just pointed out, other people who have had similar coin, similar situations and have been able to progress in their career. So I, I'm not going to make any excuses for Harvard right now. I, I think it's a it's an interesting situation to me because the only people you can really blame are the people that were intentional about wanting her gone. Those are the people that you can blame for this. Harvard as an institution is on the front page of the New York Times with their president being accused of plagiarism. And the accusations are credible. So at a certain point, I mean, what you look at here is Claudine's, Claudine Gay's decision to resign and what that means. The university in and of itself, it to me, it's it starts to become a stretch because they have to think about the way that their school works. They have to think about the way that their campus works. And they have to think about the the standard that they're setting as being the most lauded school in the entire in the entire world. After a certain point, when you're when you're looking at it, it's 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 a weird situation to be in. I don't think that necessarily Harvard, I can blame them in this situation. I think they did the best they could to stand by. Mm. Have they put out a statement? I haven't seen anything yet. Because here's, if, if I mean, they're been, concerned... There have been, been statements in the Harvard Crimson. We should say that the the, the paper, different places, there have been different voices. It's been in... Uh, um, uh, um, it's been, been volleyballed around within the Harvard intelligentsia as well. There are voices, some anonymous, some making themselves... Uh, very public and known, hey, we think she should go. But the Crimson, the paper, other people in the, the faculty, other people have said, hey, we wanted her to stay. It just seems like the good outweighs the bad here. And the way that you explain plagiarism is in the academic uh, context, it doesn't, it's just like, it didn't stop her from progressing in her career. Like she obviously is super smart, super well-researched, like does every bit deserving to have been the president, the first black woman president of Harvard. And it makes it seem like this was so big that we have to let her go. And I guess they're concerned about their image as Harvard. I understand that. I guess I'm more speaking about, I'm concerned about what this says for the people who say she never deserved to be there. She was always a DEI hire. See, she's not even qualified she plagiarizes and that's not the case. So I guess I just wish it would be fine. She stepped down. That was, let's just say that really was her decision. She wanted to take the attention away from a university that she loves and adores so much. But it also, I just hate she did it because what seems to be louder is the other side, the hater. See, we were right. And I just wish if Harvard really, really had her back, they would say something like, this is why we decided to, you know, like she stepped, this is why we agree with her resigning. It has nothing to do with the fact that she was a DEI hire. It has nothing to do with the fact that she's not qualified. This is why. Okay. So here's the reality here for me. So this was a vendetta that, that certain people had against Claudine Gay and it had nothing Absolutely. to do with plagiarism. It had nothing to do with any of that. It had to do with uh, how, because Stefanik, um, who mm-hmm. is the congresswoman that uh, 
was the firebrand and who garnered the most headlines from the uh the hearing up on Capitol Hill. She said when this was made public, said two down, one to go. She got the president of Penn out. She got the president of Harvard out. And I guess the only thing left is the president of MIT who also testified that day. So that tells you that this is very coordinated and very intentional. And that's the part of it to me that I think you have to discuss. There are like bad guys here. There are intentions here. There, There are people who want to make their point here. And that's always been the thing. And that's the toughest thing about it. Like they lynched uh-huh. her. Cool. It's not like when they lynch you. Let me give you guys an, a little Southern, um, a little Southern lesson on lynching. Okay? okay. My father used to talk to me about this. And he would say that uh, there's always a reason for a hanging. Um, we were watching a movie one time and my dad looks at the movie and the Ku Klux Klan just shows up on this guy's doorstep and they go, nigger, come out of your house. Mm. And they are burning a cross and it's all of them and they got horses and it's the whole nine, nigger, come out of your house. They're coming out, they're going to string him up, they're going to hang him in front of his family. And my dad looked at me and he goes, there was some of that where they just pop up and without anything, without even having a reason, just do that. But he said, that's not a smart lynching. He was like, that's a lynching that's just about power where you have everyone in the situation that you need them. He was like, a smart lynching and the way they really get you is they invent a reason. They make up a reason or they take a reason that's real, like they get you for jaywalking and they put you in jail and they don't feed you and they just beat you to death, right? Or you are on the street drunk. You might have done a little something. It might be a misdemeanor or something or they get you for vagrancy, right? They invent laws to invent reasons to lynch you. If you don't have a dollar in your pocket, it's vagrancy. Okay, it's vagrancy. Now you got to be in police custody. Okay, well, now that you're in police custody, what can we do to you? We cannot take you to the jail We can drive you out to some swamp somewhere, string you up, cut your dick off, and then take pictures around everyone like you. I mean, it's just how they do it, right? So the lynching is not in the culpability or whether or not the person did something. It's whether or not the punishment fits the crime, number one. But more so, it's about the intention of it. If your intention is to lynch someone, if your intention is to rip them apart and parade them in front of everyone, if your intention is to do that, when you succeed, it's still a lynching. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why. Mm -hmm. When you want to draw and quarter somebody, right? When you want to flay them, when you want to do all of these things to them, you will find a reason to do it. And when you want to protect someone like a Gorsuch, like somebody else, when you want to protect someone for doing something, you'll find a reason to protect them. You'll find a reason that what they did wasn't that bad or what they did was too long ago or what they did doesn't meet the contemporary standard. And then you'll use that reason 
to make sure that they're valued and protected and exalted. And that's what doesn't happen for black women. That's what didn't happen for Claudine Gay. And that's what won't happen to anyone that very directly finds themselves in the crosshairs of A, being on the wrong side of opinion surrounding this particular war, which we have, we cannot like let, let that not be a part of this narrative. The wrong side of opinion in this particular war and the wrong side of a wealthy donor class here in uh, the United States that has a lot of sway with these particular universities. And that's, and, and I mean, that's just a reality, right? That's just a reality. Now, if you believe that Claudine Gay is an anti-Semite, if you believe that the president of MIT or the president of Penn, if you believe that they're all anti-Semites, I get it. I would love to have a conversation with anyone so that we can go back and forth over the definition of intifada, why I don't think the intifada means genocide, why I don't think any of that stuff, right? But if you think these people are really anti-Semites, then you'd have to get them removed from their posts. I understand that. The question is whether or not we are careening towards the reality of anyone who has a cross opinion about the way Israel is prosecuting their war being labeled an anti-Semite and being able to have everything taken away from them. And that's not even Claudine Gay, but that's anyone that might fit into that bucket, anyone that might be thrown into that bag and what that really means. Because like, like this right here begins with that, it ends with that, and then they spike the football in public. Chris Rufo spikes the football in public one guy I heard with it, and when he said after this, he said, there are two lessons to take this. First lesson is don't mess with the Jews. That's the first lesson. And I'm like, to all my Jewish friends out there, I don't mean this in a, because um, I have the most beautiful, amazing Jewish friends and Jewish people in my life. I'm like, how does that make you feel when he says that? When that gets said in this particular situation where there's so much gray, you know what I mean? There's so much gray here. So I don't know. The way I looked at it is it's the same lesson America will always give you. They can mm-hmm. lynch you if they want to. And they can find a reason. Um, small, big, or large to take everything that you have from it. They, last thing I'll say, they did it to Nicole Hannah-Jones over the 1619 Project. They did. She hadn't plagiarized anything. What she had basically done was just told them the true history of themselves and they used that to leverage her academic future against her. So there will be a reason why they kill you. Um, mm. and it, it's, not, it's not a clear... I'll put you like this. Anyone who wants to... Anyone who wants to say, you know what, in this situation, they did find stuff on Claudine Gay. I get it. I think you have to use AI now to go back and, uh, and this is not a, a, a novel concept for me, go back and re-qualify every single dean, um, president in higher education now. It's the only way for this to, to have any moral, any moral weight to me. It's a technology that we have now that we didn't have then. And so, so you think they're going to use it for other people? I think they should. I think to me, the only reason why, the only way that you, that this can have any sort of moral weight to it is if you do. But here's the thing. If they start doing that, where does it stop, right? Okay. How many, how many incidents do you have to have for it to be deemed you got to be removed from your position? 
No, you know? know that that it's just going to get out of control, but it's going to happen again. They used it once; they'll use it again. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing in the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. The cat is out of the hat. Okay? The cat is out of the goddamn hat. Cat Williams went on Club Shay Shay. Scorched Earth. That little motherfucker could talk some shit, man. <laughs> uh, this is him on Ricky Smiley. Cat Williams, hey, hey, don't nobody know who he is? I'm on the radio. I'm with Steven Said. Everybody know me. That's what he told everybody that would listen to on the set. That's the truth of the matter. He was so egregious, not now, then he was so egregious that, and Hollywood has never heard this in a hundred years. He was so egregious. I put in my contract that I won't work with Ricky Smiley again unless he's in a dress. Now, what was Ricky Smiley's next movie? Was it first Sunday? Did he wear a dress in it? You bet he did. It's in my contract. Why would you put that in your in your contract? Eh? <laughs> That's where he's the a believable actor. Shit. Him and Tyler Perry can't play a man to save their life. Okay. Just, uh, I, Cat Williams, we got we got to go through all of them real quick, Rich. Cedric the Entertainer. Mark Curry had already helped me work on this joke because I thought it was good because I was getting a standing ovation on it. He had me go back in the lab and help me craft it to be an even more powerful joke. So this is not just a random joke. This is my very best joke. <laughs> and it's my last joke. And it's my closing joke. OK. 1998. <clears throat> I'm doing this joke. It's on Comic View. Cedric comes to the comedy store. He watches me in the audience. He comes backstage. He tells me what a great job I did and how much he loves the joke. Two years later, he's doing that as his last joke on the Kings of Comedy. 
and he's doing it verbatim. He's just changed my car into a spaceship. Okay. One more. Uh, I mean, there was a lot more, but we can't, There's a we, lot. Can't, we can't do the whole thing. Um, he talked about the Kings of Comedy. A King of Comedy? Where the, where the, can no, we? they, they consider that. Oh, that. Like, like when, after Bernie left, them same three guys I'm telling you about, the Kings. Yeah. Right? Cause DL is the greatest. Yeah. There's no DL slander gets tolerated. Um, but they came to me. I was supposed to be the fourth King. I got the offer. Then what happened? But I turned it down. Why? Because you shit on Bernie. And I know the truth. You think I'm gonna let you shit on Bernie and then come get me? I'm the next king? Fuck you. <laughs> Why? Because the whole time Bernie was here, you was acting like you was funnier than him. The reason you was supposed to go last is because it was your tour. Tell the truth. It was Steve's tour. Not it was gonna be called the Kings of Comedy. It was Steve's tour. These are the guys opening for him. Of course you gotta close if it's your tour. That's why it was such a big deal. But you couldn't do it. Because you can't beat the best. And until you humble yourself, you will forever be kinged by the king. Uh, so look, he talked about a whole bunch of shit. Talked about Kevin Hart being an industry plant. His back and forth with Kevin Hart is legendary. It goes back a, a long way. Um, you know, when Cat get on his shit, he, he give it to everyone. But for some reason, on Club Shay Shay, just the combination of Cat doing his thing and, and Unk just sitting there kind of bewildered, but then also pleading with Kat to take his foot off people's necks, has the internet in shambles, man. This has gone crazy. Uploaded yesterday already at 4.5 billion views. I I don't know where to start on this. I mean, what's the, what, what was the point for Kat Williams to go on and, and do this? Like, I understand if maybe you wanted to get something off your chest, specifically in regards to Cedric the Entertainer, because this isn't the first time that issue has come up. And so you wanted to, you felt like you needed to set the record straight. But he was just firing shots at people for no reason. Like, is he okay? Is Cat Williams okay? <laughs> is he uh, okay? Look, I think, look, I think that, yeah, I think, yeah, I think he's fine. I think, well, number one, he's not firing shots for no reason. Uh, according okay, to him. So, that, so help. So yes, help me understand the reason. So I laughed. Cat <laughs> wanted this interview because he says that people that come on Club Shay Shay, I think maybe said, I think maybe Ricky Smiley, I, Steve Harvey. Yes, and they definitely had Ricky Smiley. Things, yeah, he, mm -hmm. they had said things that he said uh, weren't true. Wasn't true. So they had said things about him about comedy that he said was was all cat. So he doesn't have anything to promote, not necessarily. He wants to, uh, wanted to come on Club Shay Shay with Shannon Sharp and he wanted to set the record straight on a couple of different things. Okay. I guess, I mean, Cat Williams is somebody, yes, who just doesn't really care, I guess, the impact this is going to have. I don't anticipate any of the people that he, I mean, Cedric the Entertainer kind of said something in the comments, but I don't really anticipate them coming after him or responding. It. So I guess I'm just like, I guess he just wanted to get it off his chest, but was there like, 
Of course they're going to respond. I just they're all going to respond. You think so? Yeah, they all already basically have responded. Who, what did Har- Steve Harvey say? Steve Harvey might not, but it, when I say they, I mean these comedians are going to talk back. Michael Blackson has said uh, something. <laughs> Kevin Hart. Michael Blackson. <laughs> Kevin Hart has <laughs> has said something like, "Let the anger go." My new movie's coming out. Ricky Smiley. Um, and I uh, guess that's it's not a good. At the end of the day, when that's kind of Kevin Hart's response or, you know, somebody else has a response like that, like, oh, OK, you know, good for you. You over here talking, but check out this that I'm doing. I just I like Cat Williams and it just isn't a good look, in my opinion. OK, so. It's the look. Let me tell you guys something that you guys don't it, know. The look for him or the look, period. It's the look, period, for comedians. Let me tell you guys something As somebody who knows a lot of comedians. Comedians are amongst the most miserable people. Oh, jeez. Let why? me tell you why. It is such a competitive thing. Take the NBA. Take rap. Take track and field. Take fucking chess. Fucking Instagram twerking. Uh, modeling, whatever you think is competitive and then ratcheted it up, ratcheted it up 30 times and then you have stand-up comedy. Anytime you meet a stand-up comedy, most of them, I'm not going to say all of them, but most of the stand-up comedy co- comedians that I know, most of the stand-up comedians that I know, most of the comments I know, will tell you straight up sooner why somebody else isn't funny than why they are funny. It is so competitive. It is such a competitive game. I've never seen it like rappers complain a lot about each other when you know a lot of rappers. No group of people complains as much about one another when they're not around each other as stand-up comedians do. Nobody. No one. It's very competitive. You have to have so much confidence to do it. You have to have such a specific point of view to do it. It People will steal your point of view. When someone steals a joke from a comic, I'm not a comic, I'm telling you what, From a, I know a lot of stand-up comedians, it's like they're stealing a part of you. They're stealing your perspective. They're stealing your observation. They're stealing your life experience. They're taking all of that from you. These niggas be mad about that shit. They be super pissed off about it like ridiculously pissed off. And when they feel somebody else is making it by kowtowing or playing it safe or being in the right rooms or giving the right hand job or whatever, it's deeply, deeply affecting to a lot of the comics that I know because they feel like their truth is being overlooked for somebody else's bullshit. And it's hard for them to get past it. And so I've seen... All the comics that I know that are happy and doing great, I mean, I'm so ecstatic because a lot of the guys that I know, that nigga ain't shit, man. That nigga ain't funny. I've been doing that. I've been doing that, man. I can't believe y'all put him on there again. I've been doing that since motherfucking 1997. I started doing that. He got all these movies, got all these shows. I'm happy for him. But at the same time, that motherfucker not funny as he's supposed to be. 
He not. I'm funnier than that motherfucker. And I'm after at first I was like, oh my God. And now I'm like, I get it. It's the same thing that you hear from any highly competitive field. And the only difference is Cat Williams will say all of those things that you hear in public. He'll say mm-hmm. them out loud. I, I, I don't think all of this is true. How would I know? Like, you know what I mean? I don't know what happened with what show and what movie and all of that stuff like that. The guy doesn't come across as a liar. But, you know, people have different types of perspectives on things like that. But I do know that the life of a stand-up comic is it's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. This is how, to me, this is how they talk about each other. From what I, I've heard. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think, believe the stuff that he's saying? Um, but you kind of just answered it. Well, you just made, I mean, I appreciate, makes me appreciate comedians even more because the, what they have to go through to get up on stage and make us laugh, it sounds like a lot. Yeah, it's a tough life. So I think a lot of people that are talking about this, I mean, ask a comic who the funniest person that they know is. Like, you know, some of them will go easy. Some of them will go, okay, it's Dave Chappelle, it's this, it's that, you know, whatever. But a lot of them will say a guy that you've never heard of. And then you'll go watch this guy, whoever they talk about, and you'll be like, this motherfucker is hilarious. Why don't he have a million fucking shows and a million fucking movies and a million fucking this? And it's, it's, they don't anoint like a bunch of them at the same time. I guess now with the internet, maybe it's a lot easier for everyone to cultivate an audience. But, um, give an example of somebody. Um, I once asked somebody who like their favorite comedian was. Um, and I recognized this guy's face, but I didn't know his name. And they said Tony Roberts. And so Tony Roberts is a comedian from Detroit. And then I go watch like Tony Roberts' stand-up. He's fucking hilarious. Ridiculously mm-hmm. high energy. Just I was laughing my fucking ass off. And then I asked myself, I'm like, well, shit. I'm laughing so much at this guy. I can't remember even who, who told me this. Maybe it was Chris. I, I can't remember who told me that this was the funniest guy that was out there. So I'm laughing at this guy and I'm like, well, and he's had a great career. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to diss him. But I'm saying like, why isn't this guy like the number one dude? Like what? Mm-hmm. It's, and, and I think sometimes if, if I were somebody that were that super fucking funny and this guy's had a great career, he sells out, he makes, I'm not saying that he's a struggling comic or anything like that, but I, he's a comic that I really like. I think sometimes there's a lot of animus and that's why with my comic buddies, I'm always checking in on them. (laughs) I really am. I mean, you are opening my eyes to a whole new world. I don't have comedian friends, but I just had no idea. No idea about the struggle. A very competitive game. And if you, you listen to them talk like one of my friends, um, I mean, another comic that I know that's really cool. And like is really content. There's a guy named Alex Thomas. He's just like a fucking great guy. Like a great mm-hmm. guy. And a lot of them are great guys. But you get them talking about other comedians in the game, they're competitive. And they will start telling you why niggas don't deserve to be where they where they are. Never heard anything like that from Alex. But I've other always, guys, yeah. I've always heard comedians are the worst people to date. That's what I've always heard. And maybe this is why, because they're so miserable, as you said. I just heard they were assholes. I mean, I wouldn't say that the guys I know that are assholes. I'm just saying it seems like a really, really, really competitive and mm. mentally taxing gig 
to do. You put yourself out there all the time. You going up there doing this shit all the time. People stealing from you the whole nine. So Cat just had to get some shit off his chest and, you know, true or not, true or not I guess other people will too now. Who knows? Wait, Speaking of comedians. Wait, you just said something that made me think of it because when he's telling the Cedric the Entertainer story, he's talking about how Cedric used to come see his things, like his jokes, his performances, come backstage. Does that happen a lot where bigger comedians go to smaller comedian shows and watch them and potentially get either, I don't know if they're just like seeing what the competition is or stealing jokes? Oh, you have that. Yeah, you'd have to ask comedians about that. I don't know how prevalent that I is. I just thought I your that, comedian friends would say to would let you know I, that. I know they complain about joke deal ceiling, but that specific structure of it, I don't know. You'd have to ask. Mm-hmm. We'll have some, okay. we'll, I think we're going to have some people on to 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 discuss this. I think we're going to have some people on to to talk about this. Maybe somebody that wants to react to maybe something that Kat said, we'll have them on. But the shit that he's talking is not completely unlike other stuff that I've heard. They just... He's just saying it in public. He's just saying it out there. You know? Um, mm-hmm. Some of the stuff is wild, though. It was a good watch. Good watch. Uh, did you watch Dave Chappelle's special? I did. I did. What'd you, what'd you think? I. Why don't you want to say it? It wasn't very good. Why can't we just say it? It wasn't good. It you wasn't think very it was good? good. No. Not at all. And by the way, I wasn't offended. I wasn't offended at, oh, in I the least bit. I wasn't offended in the least bit. Dave Chappelle could do better than that. Like, that just wasn't that great. I think maybe he's... I've been following Dave now. Everybody's relitigating Dave's career and acting like Dave isn't funny or Dave has one great special. Knock it off. Bullshit. He's one of the funniest motherfuckers that's ever lived. He's No one makes mm-hmm. me laugh harder. But this special was a brick. And that's okay. I, I didn't think it was a brick. Um, I, I got to a certain point where I was like, oh, okay. Like towards the end, like the last joke, I guess I was just like expecting a little bit more, but you know, he brought it around full circle, which, you know, like I appreciate that, but I laughed. I thought that there were funny moments in it. I was maybe, maybe I just was desperate for a laugh. I don't know. I just, I was entertained. Mm. I was entertained, you know, like I, but again, you know, when I when I watch Dave Chappelle, he's, he says things that, you know, are offensive to other groups. And, you know, I'm always like, mm, what's the line? I don't know. What's the line to you? I mean, he didn't talk about groups that I guess, you know what? He kind of made fun of everybody in the special. He did make fun of black people, too, in the special. So I guess for me. When I listen to a comedian, I just expect that there are no rules, that mm-hmm. they're kind of just they're going to say whatever they've pre- they're prepared to say all in under the art of comedy. So I kind of expect that coming into Dave Chappelle. I don't know how I would have felt in front of an audience hearing some of those things. Like if I had been sitting next to somebody who was disabled and they weren't laughing. I would have felt a certain way. Yeah. Um, so I think a couple of things about Dave. Number one, the fact that Dave is, he's made his career around pushing the line now. Now his career is about pushing the line. I yes. actually think it's taken away from his comedy a little bit because some of his observations in the past weren't necessarily about 
How about this? I think the powerful are more funny than the powerless. So the I powerful. I think the I think the powerful are more funny okay. than the powerless. I, I do. I think it's more funny to poke fun at the, and that's just me, to poke fun at the inconsistencies in American justice. And I think it's more fun to poke fun in inconsistencies, period, in the absurdity, period. I think you find a lot more absurdity in powerful people than you do in um in powerless people because a lot of times powerless people uh, have to be practical in order to survive. Like there's a practicality that you have to have in order to survive. There's a rule playing system that you have to do if you don't have a lot of power. Now, it's not always true. I think in, there are a lot of inconsistencies between men and women that I think are very funny. You guys know that, right? Um, uh, and I do think that there are inconsistencies within the trans community uh, that are funny at first. I think you think about things that are funny at first, right? And l- let's be honest here. Like, there are things that are normal to us that when you first are confronting them, they're odd. You know, like, it's odd the first time you hear somebody say, I oh, don't call me mister. Like, I'm they. Then you're like, what does that mean? What does they mean? You know, like, what, what, what did they, them, like, when you first learn that stuff, it's odd. It's like, oh, my God. And so it's, it's kind of funny. Yes. It's, you're not used right. to it. I don't know if it's funny, but it's different. Well, no, it can be funny. Like, it can be funny. Because, look, I'll give me okay. this other example. I've told this story before. But the first time uh, you know, me and Charlamagne were sitting down and we're having a conversation with a friend of ours, a dear friend of ours who, who, who passed away. It's a brilliant woman. And we were using the term female. I've told you this before. And she was like, don't call me a female. Like, I'm a woman. And we sitting there like, what? You're talking about female. You're female, man. We saying females. We saying females, so we don't say bitch. So we don't say hoe. Like, we never, growing up, I never called women that stuff. So you would mm-hmm. use other terms. When you heard your other niggas would be like, man, these bitches ain't on this, man, these hoes. And we like, oh, man, that's a female. Don't call her, don't call her. And, and then you get to a point to where you're like, you can't use female and now you feel offended because you're centering yourself in that. You're not thinking about what she wants to be called. You think about the, you're thinking about the favor that you're doing her by mm-hmm. not calling her the worst fucking thing that you can. So you're sitting there being a man. That's funny that you have that type of dickhead momentum building up, but also the changing of the jargon and the reason why at first it's odd and it's funny. When you beat that to death and you refuse to accept the programming of somebody, it becomes not funny anymore. That's true. Like when you, if you don't, if you can't meet that person at a certain point and just be like, all right, cool. It's your thing. But if it makes you feel like a more full person, if this is better for all of us as a society, if this makes us better, stronger, if you don't have to commit suicide because of this, I'm with it. I'm with it. Cool. It's not hurting me to do it. It's not hurting anything. It's only making things better. And then just the core belief that if I make you stronger and I make you better, then I make society better. If you can't have that belief about somebody, you don't care if they live or die. If you can't have the belief about someone that them being safer makes society better, then you just don't give a fuck about them, right? Mm-hmm. And after a while, I'm not offended by it. It's just not, it's just really not funny anymore. Like it's not that I'm offended. Right. It's not like I'm all like, oh, I'm gonna watch Chappelle when Chappelle come on. I'm not gonna not watch Dave. Right, I'm not going to boycott Dave. 
But the fact that you're doing it's just not funny anymore. It, and it's not and not not funny anymore. But all oh, Dave's a Dave's a, a a demon. It's just like dog. We passed that. And those are the parts that didn't that weren't funny to me. Yeah, they weren't funny to me. I did think that some of it was a little redundant. Um, I felt like I had heard the crit the, and maybe because I went to his special live, that I felt like I had heard the, the Chris Rock part before. I don't know, but again, in this special, he calls himself a lazy comedian. I mean, to be honest with you, even even with the Chris Rock thing. I expected him to have something funnier to say. Look, Dave Chappelle is, <laughs> let me make sure, you guys, no one makes me laugh harder than Dave Chappelle like over the course of my life. And it's not just killing him softly or the joint that he came back right after where he did the, like we talk about the jokes that we liked. He did the one where he was, uh, he was, he took his family to like, to, to, uh, to Disneyland and, you know, Mickey Mouse came up to him and went, I'm Rick James, bitch. And he was like, it's funny. It's funny to me that he goes, he was like, can you please not curse me out in Disneyland when I'm in my family? It's just <laughs> all of that stuff. I think that, okay, I think I've gotten to it. I've talked myself into it. I don't feel like I know Dave anymore. And yeah. hmm. I used to know Dave or at least the, the Dave that Dave would show us, right? Like, I don't feel like I know Dave anymore. I don't feel like the comedy is just, he's such a genius in terms of the way he views the world and looks at different things. I don't feel like the comedy now helps me get to know Chappelle like as much as I used to. And maybe that's on, maybe that's by design. Maybe we got to know him a little bit too well. You know, he had to go away for a little while. Yeah, that's very true. You know, so maybe it's by design. I don't know, but I like, I I watched this and it was kind of like filler. It wasn't that big of a deal, you know? I I was excited to know he had another special coming out. I forgot until I knew we were going to talk about it. And I don't know. Again, I'm just, I'm looking for anything. You're looking for anything. <laughs> it's just, it just, I was entertained. I get it. I, and that was nice to be entertained. That's still, that's still my number one guy of all time. But yeah. it's just, you know, come back to us, Dave. Anyway, this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes. All that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Trump got $7.8 million in foreign payments during his presidency. Now, you guys, I know you didn't think we weren't going to talk about it. This is the sub-headline. The bigger headline was the Epstein list came out. <laughs> The Epstein list came out. But not out. the whole list. Epi, 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 epi. The Epstein list came out. No. Um, Akacho was, was feeling that song a little bit. You like that shit. You but like I kind of like that one. Yeah. Uh, when you say not the whole list, like they had a couple of names redacted or are there more names to come out later on I in the I think there are more names to come. Donnie, isn't that right? Like there's... Yeah, I think so. And yeah. the, the way that it goes, it's looking like these are lists that are just named within the documents. These people aren't necessarily accused of things. Okay. Well, right. see, that's why that's why this whole thing is fucked up, Donnie, that you put together. Because some of them are, and some of them aren't. All right. Because you, you're pl- you're playing yourself once again. I read the document, motherfucker. I read the document, motherfucker, motherfucker. And some motherfucker. of them are what? It, okay, not okay. that song. Some of them are what? I don't and give a fuck of- what y'all say. That song is hard. Like that song, but that Jaden Alexis. Hello, motherfucker. Motherfucker. I don't know it. <laughs> Bitch, I'm a Barbie. <laughs> Bitch, I'm... D- play that I've shit. I've never, I've never Lips, heard it. Hips, hips. Hello, motherfucker. That song is hard. Who you, is it? It's Jaden Alexis. It's... Who's that? Blueface's girlfriend. No music. No music. I'm a bad little bitch and I'm slick like a Barbie. Hips, lips, ass in a car. I'm a motherfucker. Hello, motherfucker. No That's what that song is hard. I don't give a fuck. You know you like it. No, I mean, it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. You like that shit. I'm shocked. You know it. I thought you were sick of them. Nah, I'm sick of but I, so here's the thing. I'm sick of Blueface and Krishan. Uh for sure. When that song dropped, I was ready to hate on that bitch. And it was like maybe like 15 seconds into this bitch, I was like, man, this shit sucks. What? Okay. Okay, talk your shit, girl. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Epstein list. Of course, you guys know Jer- Jer- Jeffrey Epstein um, ran an intricate and disgusting child sex ring for years, committed suicide in jail some time ago. He had an intricate web of high-profile people that used his services, used his jet, that ranged from royalty to... Captains of industry to political players and to attorneys. There were there was a list, and this list is connected to a lawsuit uh, that was filed some years ago that had all kinds of known associates of Jeffrey Epstein that was in the lawsuit. Now, at first, these these names were made unavailable to people. Then later on, it was ruled, oh, why would we protect them? That their names are they're, they're, they're connected to Jeffrey Epstein? Put them in the fucking thing. Um. Now, interesting here. It's the only time you'll ever hear me do this. What we're looking at right now is some of the high-profile names in the court documents include former U.S. presidents Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. I have to be fair here. I have to be fair here. The way Donald Trump's name comes up in this particular filing is that Donald Trump is asked about and a witness is asked about Donald Trump Have you ever met Donald Trump? The witness says no. 
Have you ever heard that Donald Trump has come to the island? The witness says no. So when people are saying that Donald Trump is named in this, the way that they are saying that he is named from what I read and from the reports that I read is that he's named because they were asked about Donald Trump and the witness said no. President Clinton, it's just just being fair, you guys, it's a different story. Here are some of the highlights from names on the list that you guys might care about. Uh, you guys might care about Prince Andrew, who's had a long-standing relationship with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Josanna Joburg is one of the many women who will have accused ex- Epstein of sexual abuse. She said that Andrew put his hand on her breast in uh, Epstein's, uh, Andrew put his hand on her breast in Epstein's Manhattan townhouse in 20, 2001. Um, this is while he was taking a photo uh, with her and another woman. She says that Jelaine Maxwell, who was Epstein's right-hand arm, his silly rabbit, um, and Epstein were present while this photo was being taken. Um, this incident is re- reported by other people. Prince Andrew has denied it, blah, 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 blah. I don't know if you guys care about Prince Andrew. Boom. Um, she says that she was also turned into a massage therapist and was sexually coerced while she worked with Maxwell and Epstein from 2001 to 2006. She accused Prince Andrew of sexually abusing her two days ago, excuse me, two decades ago when she was 17. Um, he called this baseless and the, the case was settled in 2022. Alan Dershowitz, who you guys might know, um, uh, was accused by Jane Doe number three and said that Jeffrey Epstein required her to have sexual relations with Dershowitz on multiple occasions when she was a minor. She said that Dershowitz also played a significant role in negotiating an agreement that provide immunity, provided immunity from federal prosecution in the Southern District of Florida, not only for Epstein, but for any other potential co-conspirators of Epstein, the document says. Okay, Epstein's housekeeper um, testified that Dershowitz would often visit Epstein's Florida mansion to get massages. Another mm-hmm. one of Epstein's household employers said that the lawyer would be president at Epstein's residence without his family and in the presence of girls. Fox News uh, did an interview with Epstein, with, with, uh, with Dershowitz. And he denied ever meeting the Jane Doe number three. He suggested he was the victim of the Me Too movement's hypocrisy and, included, and accused radical feminists of trying to take away his legacy uh, and said that they're not condemning Hamas, but they're condemning him. Um, so David Copperfield, the comedian, excuse me, the, the magician, you ever see his, you ever see his stuff? I never have. I never have. Went to Vegas to see his show. Great show. Uh, apparently according to these documents, he was seen at one of Epstein's houses. One of the girls said that he was with a girl at dinner who looked like she was of high school age. Um, she also said that she was also asked if she knew girls were getting paid to find other girls referring to the recruitment of women by Epstein and Maxwell's massage therapist that maybe Copperfield asked her that. Copperfield asked her if girls were getting paid to recruit other girls as massage therapists. That's what she says about Copperfield. I don't know what that says about him. I know that if you guys look into David Copperfield, he has some other issues uh, that we used to talk about at TMZ back in the day about his own island that he had. Um, Interesting. Bill Clinton was in the documents. The same lady testified that she did not meet Bill Clinton. She testified that 
Epstein told her that Clinton likes them young, apparently referring to girls. Uh, and she said that Clinton had and Epstein had a close relationship, but didn't accuse him of any illegalities. Um, Clinton has repeatedly rejected all allegations that he was involved in anything unlawful. They said that he had no interactions with Epstein for several years prior to Epstein's arrest. There was another incident there uh, in the documents where someone was talking about whether or not Bill Clinton had visited the island and flown around with them in a helicopter and all of that stuff. Donald Trump was mentioned uh, by the same woman saying that she left with Epstein and a few other people on a private plane from Palm Beach, Florida in 2001. When the plane was unable to land in New York due to a storm, they had to land in Atlantic City and went to one of Trump's casinos. She was underage at the time, uh, so she was asked if she was allowed into the casino. I did not know anything about how old you had to be to gamble legally. I just knew I could not get in because of an ID issue. So she and I did not gamble, she answered. So they went to one of Trump's casinos. They was, mm-hmm. they also, I must say here, there's another part of this where a lady is asked specifically about Donald Trump, about whether or not she had seen Donald Trump at the aisle and other things about Donald Trump, and the lady says no over and over again. Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein were friends. There's video and pictures of them together, okay? Mm-hmm. It's out there. You can see it. Donald Trump and Bill Clinton were friends. There are pictures and video. It's out there. You can see it. You can make up your own mind about what was going on with that. But anyone out there that wants to say that Bill Clinton or Donald Trump is innocent or guilty about whatever, it's not as clear cut as some of these other cases. But these guys were friends and hanging out with Donald Epps, uh, with, with, with Jeffrey Epstein. Shit. Donald Trump is in the video with Epstein, like choosing girls. Have you ever seen that video before? No, I have not. You've ever seen the video? Don, have you ever seen the video where Donald Trump and Epstein are in a video together and Donald Trump is, they're like looking at girls looking together? Looking and pointing. Yeah, I've seen Looking and pointing, like it's yeah. Like so, in the 90s. Like in the 90s or something like that. And, you know, Donald Trump has said, like, Jeffrey Epstein likes beautiful women like me. And I know that he likes them a little young. Think, same thing. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, Stephen Hawking is in there. Uh, and Epstein apparently had emailed Jelaine Maxwell to issue a reward mm. to any friends, family, and acquaintances to come forward and disprove the allegations that Stephen Hawking had participated in an underage orgy. Hmm. Um, Michael Jackson was said to have been a friend of Epstein's. Uh, she said she saw Michael Jackson at Epstein's residence when she was asked if she gave Michael Jackson a massage. She said no. There are more names to come at the end of the month. Here's the takeaway from this. I won't let everybody know this. Everybody buckle in. Okay? Okay. This is bipartisan. Sexual deviancy is not something that the right has. It's not something that the left has. It's not something for the the, the coastal elites. It's not something for the people in the backwaters and rural areas of America. A guy like Jeffrey Epstein is not going to have the Republicans with him, not going to have the Democrats with them. He's going to have 
everyone with him. This culture of exploitation and abuse and usury of young women, of young men, of young people, it exists everywhere, all over the spectrum. If you try to politicize this one, you will be disappointed. You will be disappointed because you're going to find out Trump hung around the guy. You're going to find out Clinton hung around the guy. You're going to find out this person's there, that person's there. You're going to find out that everyone had proclivities in that if they subscribe to a certain way of living their life. If they look at people as things for their sexual gratification, that's going to trump any kind of political uh, opinion, activism, or stance that they have. And it might just be some of your heroes. This is the most bipartisan thing Washington has ever done or has done in a long time. The most bipartisan thing Washington has done in a long time is killing Jeffrey Epstein. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, that's the most bipartisan. That's the most, hey, well, you know what? And rightfully so. We Like, we can't agree to give these motherfuckers health care, but we can agree that we don't want this motherfucker to start talking. Like, that's for sure. Like, we can't agree on climate change, but we know he got to shut up. We can't agree on funding wars. We can't agree on the border. We can't agree on none of that stuff. But what we know is we don't need him to start talking. So we talk about the list all you want. The list is going to be all over the place. The list is just going to, the list is going to be a guy like that can get his tentacles into everyone. So there you go. So when more names come out, you're going to look at names and then boom, 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 boom. There you go. Um, I think we're done. You want to podcast <laughs> more or what? What else is on the list? Hold on, uh, look. Nothing. You, you, got, you got any more podcasts in your age? No. Okay. I don't think <laughs> you do. All right. Tell you think caps off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel and Lindsay. Bye, guys. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.